Beware of spoilers, you have been warned. As a big Kingdom Hearts fan, no surprise, my introduction to The World Ends With You was through the greatest game of all time, Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance. <laughs> I have now gone through The World Ends With You twice. It will now be featured today as Game of the Week. What interested me in the game to begin with were the characters who continued to interest me through the game. The stories of Rhyme, B, and Shiki interest me, but it's ultimately Neku and Joshua that remained the highlight for me. Neku had great development as he was this angsty teen to putting everything on the line to save those he cares about, especially Shiki. His story is only enhanced with the introduction of Joshua as they are deeply intertwined. Learning about what Joshua was, how Neku died, the story is spicy guys. <laughs> it gets deep and emotional and this is one of those games that I would like a remake of just for some of those emotional CGI cutscenes. <laughs> I don't think that'll happen, but you know, that's in the back of my head. <laughs> the concept of the Reaper games is honestly so cool. You die and ultimately get the second chance by winning the Reaper games. There's so much lore that I want to know about this, but with the Reaper games comes to the discussion about gameplay. People loved the way the game was handled on the 3DS. The Switch port? Not so much. On the Switch, you can use motion controls to emulate the stylus mechanics of the DS version. However, if you don't mind playing on the little Switch screen, I recommend getting some sort of stylus or something for the Switch and play it old school as the motion controls don't seem to be too polished. There is also a pin system in the game that provides certain boosts, special attacks, team attacks, among other things. What's cool, and what really fits in with the aesthetics of the game, is that pins can actually go in and out of fashion, which actually affects just how effective the pin's abilities can be, so that's pretty cool. Speaking of aesthetic, the highlight of the game, hands down, is the art style, no question. The art style and music is so 2000s Japanese street culture, and it's awesome. The game's design is such a huge standout, and I believe it plays a huge part as to why this game has become such a cult classic, other than the story. It may not lie as one of my favorite games, or even one of Square Enix's best games, but it's so distinct and recognizable, and I respect the development teams and art teams for this. Firefly. First of all, Nathan Fillion. I have watched all of Castle, had multiple marathons of Firefly, and I'm currently watching his latest series, The Rookie, as it airs. Fillion has such charm and charisma while also having the ability to deliver emotional performances and give dimension to his characters. His role that kickstarted his career is no exception. The rest of the cast does really well too, with talents such as Adam Baldwin, Summer Glau, and even the legendary Alan Tudyk. Everyone had great chemistry together and worked well off each other when it came to both comedic and emotional scenes. What Joss Whedon is best at is creating a very interesting and lovable group of characters. I talk about 
I'll talk about Mal later, as he's one of the greatest fictional characters of all time. You had characters like Wash and Kaylee that were just so likable and easy to attach to. We've got the morally faltering yet fan favorite Brunt that is Jane. Zoe, Mal's right-hand man, is a strong, stoic female fighter that always gets the job done. Dr. Simon probably goes through the most character development in this short period as he goes from his old life to this bizarre new one. And then the ever-mysterious River and Shepard, actually. <laughs> Shepard's backstory is the- I think is only explored in the comic books? Highly suggest looking into it. This man has had stories to tell and it's kind of unfortunate that we didn't get to see it in the show. Though it was a short time, we were still able to see a lot of the characters' personalities as well as explore their relationships with each other. I feel connected to all of them in some way. One of the most impressive things about Firefly is its world building. Like it's so- oh my gosh. The world building. I just- the fact that they cancelled the show is a crime <laughs> to humanity. <laughs> It's so interesting to see the melded cultures of what is basically consisted of Texas and China. <laughs> the versus history and culture is so ingrained in every episode and I am always ready to learn more about it. I also love the story of the Serenity crew we grew to love. A fun story of Han Solo smugglers mixed in with drama that came with the likes of the Alliance, River, and that one Russian guy that made some for some great pacing in the few episodes that we got. Just remembering the effects we saw in the final seasons of Buffy and Angel that were made around the same time as Firefly, it's so clear to see that Firefly's graphics were above and beyond compared to some of the other shows at that exact time. <laughs> like even 20 years later, the CGI is not that bad. I mean, I'm also thinking about Supernatural and, and Grimm, like, some of those effects are not nearly as good as Fireflies, and they're, like, newer. <laughs> Part of me wonders if it was cancelled because of all the money that went into the graphics. <laughs> My favorite episodes were definitely the few River episodes that we got, Ariel being one of the best episodes on the show. The, assassins con the assassin concept of her story fascin fascinated me, and I just loved her as a character. Out of Gas was also a huge standout. The episode really drove home what Serenity meant to Mal and the crew. The last image of Mal looking at the ship adoringly in the distance the day he bought it brings me to tears every time. Now again, I've talked about them before. I have watched all of Buffy and all of Angel. I appreciate them for what they were at the time and for the fun supernatural shows that they are, but I gotta say, I just prefer Firefly so much more over those shows. Firefly had such compelling writing, dialogue, and acting. It was all just pure excellence. The music was unique. The world building was phenomenal. Most importantly, the show didn't rely on dumb romances and drama. I'm looking at you, Angel. <laughs> there was already an established functional marriage. And the two other developing romances felt much more organic than some of the pairings on Buffy and Angel. And I guess because the show is cancelled, it's easier to watch with a maximum of 
what 16 hours or less of content with the with with the movie the show also never had time to draw out any dumb arcs over to a 20 plus episode season count and thankfully there weren't too many open ended arcs to fuss over with the movie it kind of feels as complete as it can be given the circumstances ending off I just want to gush about Malcolm Reynolds some more. He is the Han Solo of his generation, and the most ideal image of a space cowboy that I know of. He's a little goofy, sometimes takes himself too seriously. He's got that charm given to him by Nathan Fillion. He's overconfident and sometimes too impulsive, but with all his flaws, he is sincere and a loving person who cares so much about his crew. He tries to protect his people the best he can, even willing to die for them on multiple occasions. And he loves his ship. He has such an affinity with Serenity, just like Captain Jack Sparrow with the Black Pearl. It's a home he created for himself that shelters the family that he has also built. And then there's his concept of life that was introduced way like in the pilot. It doesn't matter what troubles the day brings, as long as everyone is breathing and the ship is still flying, it's a good day, because it's the simple things that matter. Shameless plug, you can read my review and thoughts on the movie Serenity on the Hollis Films blog, thanks. <laughs> Some may claim Wish was a disaster of a movie, but is it a Disney flop or a soon-to-be quote classic? Well. I'm here to break it down for you. <laughs> Welcome to Rosas, Rosas, whatever. Now, I don't really know the background of Rosas, but it's given medieval Spain, it's given Mediterranean, it's given Arabic, it's given Morocco. I feel like there are a few influences at play here, and that helps give Rosas a, a distinct design, which was great. Asha not so distinct. I know a lot of people are complaining about Disney's use of quirky female leads and Asha seems to be the final straw with this. I see what you mean and I think that's why characters like Pocahontas, Belle, Elsa, and Kida stand out, at least to me. Whereas Rapunzel, Anna, Anna, sorry, Mirabelle, and Asha feel too similar personality-wise. Other than that, Asha's design is super cool. Love her hair, her outfit. She also has freckles. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm legally allowed to say. She's got nice skin. I don't know. Ash's design is, is, is great. <laughs> the king! The king! The king. Um, Magnifico himself. He comes off as charming as first, but it doesn't take too long for Asha to realize there's something off about him. I do want to talk about at all costs listening to the soundtrack before watching the movie and without context, I swear this was a love song, but it isn't. In a sense, it can be, I guess. <laughs> Magnifico loves the wishes because they give him power. Asha loves the people of Rosas and her grandfather and hopes their wishes to come true. Although this is objectively the best song in the movie, but I feel like there's a disconnect somewhere between the movie and the song. Like, it feels misused. Were there original intentions, or was this the plan all along? I, I, I kind of wish there was some sort of lust situation going on. 
I mean, this is the same studio that created Jafar back in the 90s, you know? But maybe that would have been too dark for Disney? Adulterous as well. I mean, Magnifica was married. <laughs> Actually, I, I kind of wish there was more depth to the wife. <laughs> like, what if they were a villainous couple? At all costs would have been their song. That would have been iconic. That's something we have never seen, and it probably would have worked. The queen as is didn't have much depth to her, and she was just there and kind of boring. Taking away their wishes takes away the best parts of them. This is the crime that Asha is ultimately trying to get justice for. A very Disney theme for a movie claiming to be celebration of 100 years of Disney. But then there's the argument. But he's the king. Okay, but who gives him the right to decide? <laughs> Here's another theme the film tackles. Being grateful to a powerful figure, despite them being oppressive, is not okay. I have dealt with this in my own personal life, so yeah, <laughs> not okay. Magnifico claims he'll grant wishes if it benefits Rosas, or rather benefits him. At all costs, he says. Remember, this peaceful, prosperous life in Rosas comes at a cost. It's a corrupt power, power politically and uh, magically. <laughs> With these ideas, I can easily defend Magnifico as an acceptable villain because I've seen a Magnifico-like person with my own eyes. His evil actions are real, man. <laughs> Alright, so now, meet Star. Star feels like it was meant to be a plushie sold at all Disney stores. <laughs> so Asha wishes upon a star, and the star materializes into this cute little being, and now we have to sit through a musical sequence with singing plants and animals. I guess this was meant to play on the idea that Wish was meant to be a tribute to 100 years of Disney by showing how it was magic that brought the plants and animals to life way back in the Disney classics of older times. This is actually a good time to deep dive the fact that Wish was promoted to be the 100 year celebration of Disney Studios. Welcome to Rosas feels like it was meant to be like Family Madrigal. You're a star feels like it was meant to be like Under the Sea. There are straight-up references to Peter Pan and Mary Poppins, Asha's Cinderella moment when the star gives her the fairy godmother wand. Oh, and Asha's friends are the Seven Dwarves. They're not even beating around the bush with Dopey and the Sneezy characters. The Simon dude is sleepy, the girl with the crutch is dark, the sneaky girl is bashful, the black girl is happy, and that Scanlan fella is grumpy. I was like halfway through the movie when I- when I- realized this and I was actually that was pretty cool <laughs> also that one scene when Asha was like last night I wished on a star and Grumpy was like what what are you five and then Asha opens the door to see the chickens performing what is essentially their own be our guest sequence that was actually pretty funny I did genuinely laugh <laughs> overall thoughts art style amazing. The art of animation is the true Disney celebration here. I meant 
the art of animation in the movie, not the Disney Resort in Florida. <laughs> to me, animation is the true essence of the Disney Studios. This is primarily why I refuse to give any attention to any live-action remakes. I don't care how good they are. Why put effort into these live-action remakes when you can create something new, unique, meaningful, and beautifully animated? The potential of this film is... outstanding. It's almost frustrating as there were so many great components here that just did not work well enough together to make a perfect film experience. The music was hit or miss. You had amazing numbers such as At All Costs or Knowing What I Know Now. And then there's the thanks I get. <laughs> the credits pay homage to iconic classic characters, again, reminding you that this is a celebration of 100 years of Disney. But in all honesty, was it? I don't know. Let's just say, for a definitive celebration of Walt Disney's legacy, Once Upon a Studio, that's the Disney that you know and love. I feel like Lauren and Tom came up a lot in different games and shows that I watched last year, so get ready for this filmography dump. <laughs> Lauren Tom is a second generation American in her family, her grandparents being Chinese immigrants. Born and raised in Illinois, she got her acting start in theater when she was a part of the Broadway tour for the Chorus Line. She remained active in theater through the 80s as she began her acting career on screen. Most of her career in the 90s revolved around minor roles and guest appearances in many films and shows. She continued to work on screen since and has guest starred in shows like The Nanny, Monk, Goliath, The Rookie, and CSL. She was also in the show Friends, Men in Trees, and Pretty Little Liars. What Lauren Tom deserves more appreciation for is her work as a voice actress because, oh my gosh, she is one of the best out there. She has had major roles, minor roles, guest appearances, and or additional voices and projects like Rick and Morty, Totally Spies, Kim Possible, King of the Hill, Star Trek Lower Decks, Samurai Jack, The Boondocks, Young Justice, Disenchantment, Witch, Diablo 4, What If, Curious George, World of Warcraft, Troll Hunters, Solar Opposites, She's been in animated films like Kung Fu Panda, Mulan 2, and a couple of Scooby-Doo projects and a bunch of Batman projects as a bunch of characters. <laughs> there are a few roles that she's particularly known for. This includes Amy Wong in Futurama. She was in Kids Names Kid Code Named Kids Next Door as number three. <laughs> She was Celia, the mom, from Andy Mac, and she was Lena in Joy Luck Club, which, if you know, that was Ming-Na Wen's big break. <laughs> she was Judy in The Last Airbender, which is an iconic character, even if you don't know Lauren Tom for that character. That was her. <laughs> 
She portrayed Gizmo and Jinx in Teen Titans and has voiced the characters in a few other projects. And even though she was only in a few episodes, she's well known as Linda Tran, Kevin Tran's mom in the Supernatural series. And I don't know if she's well, well known for this, but I think her performance as Masako, Masako Adachi is one of her best. If she is not known for it yet, she should be because that was phenom that was a phenomenal performance. One of the highlights of the entire game for me, actually. Just amazing. So yeah. <laughs> I you may hear me mention Lauren Tom many times in the future. I'm sure she'll pop up out of nowhere, but I just want I just wanted you guys to know that she exists and you need to give her appreciation because she she's there. <laughs> she's in it. She is in the scene and she deserves the appreciation. Like she phenomenal. One of one of the biggest underdogs of of the day. <laughs> for sure. That's it for this week. Be sure to follow this podcast and please follow my Twitter and blog at Hollis Films to follow my journey experiencing the entertainment industry's greatest stories. And let me know what you've been fangirling over this week. Thank you for joining me and I'll talk to you again next week.